Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, welcome back to another episode here of the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I am uh, your host, Mitch Ramos, joined by Adam Sapi here from the Anthony Michael Group, as well as our good friend, Nick Swig, the Director of Talent Acquisition at, at Collegium Pharmaceuticals. We are going live today on LinkedIn. It's Wednesday, 11 o'clock Pacific, and it's 2 o'clock Eastern, just a few minutes after. But uh, I would say 99% of the time, we are here same times each and every week. We happen to be out the previous week, but excited to be back with a topic that I think is starting to take off a little bit as far as some controversy online. I wanted to make a whole show about this and, and kind of dig in. But if you're joining us for the first time, we talk all things talent within the medtech space and with the greater life sciences industry, for that matter. We're here live with these shows. You can also check out the podcast wherever you consume podcast content. We are up to over 70 episodes now. I've had the pleasure uh, and the honor of quite frankly, of, of speaking with so many leaders from the industry on all different types of talent or topics for that matter. So be sure to check that out. But guys, we're not going to screw around. We're going to dig right into today's topic. And that is how do we give constructive feedback to a candidate even when it's hard? And if you follow any of my content online, I'm always preaching about the importance of saying something. Getting back to a candidate is so critical, not only for their well-being and, and the future benefit to their own career and the fact that it's just good karma right? To give somebody something to walk away with, but how much value it drives for the longer term reputation of your organization. Imagine one company who has a tendency to not get back to the people they're not moving forward with, or just really use a variety of templated emails that say nothing other than we got your application, thanks, or thanks, but no thanks in essence, right? What kind of message, what kind of vibe do you think is out in the marketplace compared to organizations that go that extra mile to say, look, yes, you were the runner up. Here's what the difference was between the candidates. Here's what we'd like to do going forward to stay connected with you. And they go the extra mile to nurture that relationship for future reference. We even had a whole show about that, about the power of your ATS and how you can nurture talent along the way. So I'm going to just maybe kind of set the stage as far as I think different challenges that especially TA leaders face and recruiters face internally within organizations, because more often than not, with companies that have TA departments or human resource departments, those are the ones usually that are the liaison for the interview process, especially if a third-party search firm, like from Adam and I's perspective, is not involved, those are the liaisons giving this, these candidates the feedback. And so if you're a hiring manager now, or perhaps you're a headhunter listening to this too, we're going to get to that piece, but I want to focus on HR and TA for a minute. So Nick, you made a comment on one of my posts that I put up a few weeks ago saying, look, I've done this 2,000 times, whatever it is. I've always made it a point to give candidates feedback. I'm going to just stop there. And, and do you mind chiming in kind of, you know, what, how have you been able to do it? How do you keep up with all the wrecks that you've had over the years? Why do you see this as important outside of the obvious? And then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, I think I need to start by kind of 
reminding people that don't know me that I actually started on your side of the desk. And that's important because providing feedback gave me personally and professionally a different value when I was working with candidates than it does in my current role. And and so you start to build that habit, I think, more when you work on the agency side. What do I mean by that? If I have a candidate I'm representing and I'm working with that person with a a great job opportunity they're excited about, they don't get the job, I get the feedback. I have another job now that I'd like to submit them for, and they're going to get the chance to go interview. Do I, A, want them to repeat the same mistakes? Or B, do I want them to learn from those mistakes, get the job, and then make the placement, right? And so I think I started the habit on the agency side for that reason, that there was both ethical and tangible value to me to be able to provide that kind of feedback with candidates. But when I shifted to more of the on-site role, I did so with a very large company, a $20 billion company. And when you're working with a large company, there's a very large aversion to risk because of the economies of scale. What I mean by that is that when you're hiring 15, 20, 25,000 people per year, statistically speaking, the chance that you're going to get sued goes up quite a bit, right? And the costs associated with those lawsuits. If you're in an organization filling 30 to 50 positions per year, right, the chance of a lawsuit, the chance of legal repercussions of saying the wrong thing goes down dramatically. So I would say, number one, my perspective starts on the agency side. That's the habit I grew. But then number two, even in the corporate role, you've got to be mindful of the company that you're at, its sensitivity to risk, and execute aligned with the business's sort of approach to that risk. Mitch, you started earlier on highlighting the benefits of when you do provide feedback to the company's brand, to my own personal brand as a recruiter. And I talk often about it isn't enough for a candidate experience to be okay, because even though it might not be uh, the best, it, it impacts my brand, right, as a professional. But it also increases the likelihood that that candidate is going to be interested in us moving forward. And that statement, I think, is counterintuitive. Most people would assume if you provide candidates with negative or constructive feedback that they are less likely to be interested in the future. It's exactly the opposite. And you hit the nail on the head, Mitch, with your post. Feedback is a gift. And most people perceive it as a gift. I've learned over the years Gift is something you probably should be requested. Don't necessarily volunteer feedback if it's not requested because some people simply don't want it. So I do tend to wait until candidates ask me for that feedback, but I always try to package it up in a way that's meaningful and constructive to them. So in your example, Mitch, the guy was a jerk, right? Okay, let's break that down. What does that actually mean as far as why wouldn't that work for us? That that is going to impact the ability of the person's ability to work well on a team, okay? Might impact communication. It might impact the person's willingness to leverage the talent around them. There are some very specific competencies. That one statement, the guy was a jerk, point to being in deficit. And that's where I would focus the conversation, not on, hey, you're a jerk to everybody, but hey, it's we work with a lot of stakeholders internally, and there were some concerns brought up around your communication style working with others, right? 
something that helps the candidate understand practically and specifically what did I do wrong and what could I do differently in the next role? Stopping short of, of course, dumping the, you were a jerk. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, I was just thinking about this as you were, as you were talking here, a lot of times I think, so let's talk about the hesitancies. Why, or let's talk about the reasons organizations don't give feedback or don't give constructive feedback. There's probably only a handful. One is hiring managers aren't really giving anything to their TA partners or human resources that is tangible, not a fit. And then the TA uh, person or the recruiter, whoever it is, is not feeling like they should or can or don't want to. They don't, or they're maybe they're lazy and they don't push back and they think, okay, that person's out. Who's next, right? So there's no concrete feedback given from the actual interview team. That's number one. Number two is that they're too busy. They've got too many positions on their plate and they just can't keep things straight. And it's like, I know I should, but I don't even know which way is up right now. I've got all these positions that I need to tend to and all these different stakeholders that I got to work with. Number three is they've got the feedback, but they don't know how to say it in a way that doesn't put them at legal risk, like you said, Nick, or doesn't overstate what somebody may have said in confidence internally and they don't want to break that confidence or it's just awkward feedback that they don't, they, they, that they don't know how to give to a candidate in a productive manner, like you were just explaining with that example. So what are some of these situations? One is, man, we just really did not like this guy. He was off-putting, or gal for that matter. He was off-putting and we just don't see us vibing with him. Another one could be where the person comes in and, you know, I'm just going to use a drastic example. Maybe they smelled really bad. Maybe they smelled really bad. And they're like, this Something's not right here. And how do you tell somebody that, right? You smelled bad on the interview. Another obvious regular, you know, status quo reason could be, hey, the person wasn't specific enough with their answers. But the whole point is, I love what you said, Nick. I want to go back to this is, what exactly are we trying to say from our feedback? The guy was a jerk. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that he was brash? Does it mean that he cut people off? Does it mean that we don't think that, what does it mean from a business standpoint? Oh, what it means is I think we're going to have a hard time communicating with him. And I think because this role incorporates so many different groups, functional groups, and so many different stakeholders, he's really going to struggle. And I don't think this is the right fit. Well, great. That's way more tangible than saying you weren't a cultural fit. Please stop telling people they're not cultural fits. It means nothing. It means zero. It means absolutely zero. So please stop today. So I'm going to stop my rant because I'm going to get heated up in a minute. But Adam, you had good perspective offline before the show because you hear so much of this from companies kind of telling you what's really going on, but they don't know how to tell the candidate. And you have a magic where you're able to decipher what they're trying to say and give it to the candidate in a way that actually helps the candidate as well, even though they're not moving forward. Will you give a, a scenario or two of you know things you've seen and kind of what the company's telling you and why they're ner- nervous to say that and how you end up coaching them? Yeah. So, and I think it's specific. And I think Nick mentioned that too. Like in the last two weeks, let's say, hey, you're a jerk. What does that mean? Oh, this person has such a strong personality. Well, the feedback to the candidate can be, hey, you are a, you have an outgoing personality or a strong personality for this other role. That's perfect because regulatory gets walked all over by R&D. They need someone that has a spine that can stand up for themselves and advocate for their team. That's the one for you. For this particular group, they don't like that. That doesn't mesh well with their culture, you know, for whatever reason that, you know, you can articulate that a little bit better. We want to help prep candidates for the interview, but we don't want to give them all the answers to, to the question. And then worse, we don't want them to be somebody they're not. We want them to, you know, put their best foot forward, but we don't want to tell them, hey, you need to, you need to soften it 
you know, 80% of what your DNA is, that doesn't work because then they hire them and they go, wow, this guy shows up on day one. This is not who we hired. He's a, a wrecking ball. This is not going to go well. And, and uh, inevitably, it doesn't go well. So be honest there. And hey, it's nothing you could have done specifically. You know, this is who you are. It's just not a good fit for this particular group within this organization. It might even be the whole organization. I think Shannon brought it up uh, with a, a former uh, colleague of hers, a former team member, I think it was Heather, that had somebody and she ruled her out for like three or four jobs and then ended up hiring her. And I apologize if that was Nick, if that was you, but that happens all the time. And to your point, Nick, if you give direct feedback, maybe it bruises your ego on day one, but it really is helpful. It, it really is. And, and I think that improves the candidate experience. It helps them, hey, go back and get your MBA. If that's, you were a finalist with three other people, they all had their, they were all masters prepared. I'm not telling you to go out and spend 40 grand and you'll get this job next time. But I'm just letting you know, here's what you're up against. Okay. Hey, you if you got RAC certified, that's going to help you compete against these folks or whatever that is. I, I think you can do that in a constructive way um, and not tell somebody that, to change who they are. And then also, hey, you are being a jerk. You cut people off like what you're saying, Mitch. You didn't seem like you wanted to be there. You were aloof. That's one that will immediately get you kicked out. You know, If you act like you're too cool for school and you could take it or leave it, nobody wants that. So hey, you've gone through the interview process with four different companies and they've all passed on you. Well, this is why I'm telling you this. And you know, self-awareness is a thing and some people lack that. And I think as a culture, we're, we're maybe too soft on people. You, you, Mitch and I were joking offline, like you watch American Idol or something and they're like, oh, you're an amazing singer. You're a lousy singer. Just nobody's ever told you that. Like you're a terrible singer, just like I am. Or hey, your parents tell you you can make the NBA, but you're five foot four and you know chubby and whatever else. No offense, you're not going to make the NBA. Focus on something else. It might sting on day one, but it's going to help you long term. So well said, guys. If you're listening, we've got a healthy group here live on LinkedIn. If you're joining us for the first time, it's the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. We do this live and in recorded fashion, where we talk all things talent related within the industry. And we're talking today about giving constructive feedback to candidates, even when it's hard. And so if you've got questions, thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Even if you just want to drop a like or a comment and, and leave some social love to help others within the industry uh, receive hopefully what is a value from these episodes, please do. We'd love to hear from you. And we appreciate uh, the attention. You know, let's focus, let's turn to what can organizations do to get better at this? Okay, let's give them some suggestions of when they're in this bind and they don't know what to say, what can they do? The first thing I would say is start developing a culture of what if it was us interviewing with our team? What would we want? If it was, if Nick mentioned this the other day about when we talked about ATS, he said, go through your application process. You're going to learn a lot from going through your own application process. Three or four times Think, a year. Have yeah. this mentality. What if I was the one on the opposite side of this table interviewing? What would I hope would happen from our company at the end of that process? And if you're not doing what you would appreciate, then let's start making some changes, okay? The next thing I would do is say, if you've got a hiring manager who's giving you vague, you're the talent acquisition person, let's say, and you've got a hiring manager who's giving you vague, vague feedback or no feedback. Hey, Bob, if you were the candidate, what would you want me to tell you? After you've met this candidate, pretend that you were that person. What should I, what would you hope that I would be able to tell you to be, even if we're not moving forward, what would you hope I would be able to tell? Boom. Now you're going to hit somebody, hopefully viscerally, and it's going to strike a chord with them. And they're probably going to give you something that they would want. Right. So that's a, a great start. Nick, over to you. What else would you suggest? Well, I'm going to start by lowering the bar a bit, Mitch, and beg recruiters across the country, across the world, stop ghosting 
your candidates. Wow. The very basic thing you could do today, immediately, forget about the feedback and the details you provide. Just don't ghost them, right? So step yeah, I guess one. the bar is pretty darn low. I, I hate to say it, but the reality yeah. is it, it is. Number two, candidates that near to you should get a custom response update right? So that's not a template. You mentioned template, Mitch. Totally appropriate if you're at the application or you even make it to the phone screen with the recruiter. If you're not advancing, fine. We're all busy. Templates work fine. If somebody's taking the time to interview with you, they deserve a custom response. Then we can get into the feedback piece. And my approach has always been to outline that the decision was made. Unfortunately, um, it was bad news. Um, I am old school, so I tend to use the phone for everything, but I learned a long time ago that people prefer good news by phone, bad news by email. So I've stopped calling people with the bad news because I recognize it's a very personal experience for someone and they don't necessarily want me there to experience it with them. So giving them a little bit of space, you know, I've had candidates cry many times when I gave them negative feedback before I made that change. So I, I usually just start with the hiring decision, you know, everybody really, and I'll, I'll provide the positive feedback. Everyone loved meeting you. They thought your example of this was, was outstanding. Ultimately, another candidate had a better alignment with our needs. So we're not moving forward. And then I let the candidate come back and ask for feedback. That is a conversation I will generally have by phone. So now I've given them their space for a deal with this loss or this rejection on their own terms. And then when they come back asking for feedback, I'll schedule some time with them. And I, I look at the feedback as what is practical, what is going to help them, what is to their advantage. And I tend to bucket it, right? There are things you can control and things you cannot control. So a feedback call I had Monday of this week. Uh, with someone who did not get the position, I had one piece of feedback that was in the, you can control this bucket, and then a piece of feedback that was in the, the you can't control it. The main driver for the decision in, in the end was the, you can't control this. And that was candidate experience was quite a bit more aligned to our specific and unique needs, right? You, nobody can go back in time and change that. So uh, that part's always easier to share. But then I got into some of the other constructive feedback that had come up that really touched on communication style and the level of detail provided. Um, but I also shared that after that feedback, that constructive feedback had been provided, I asked every single person in the debrief, would this be a reason we should not move forward? And 100% in that case said, no, of course not. We, we'd easily be able to help this person get where they need to be. It's but a minor detail in the scheme of many details. So great. So now we know that this is a candidate we'd love to hire really strong. In the end, the final decision was made based on a variable completely out of this person's control. So I think structuring it in that way, again, don't ghost your candidates, number one. Give them the hiring decision. Let them come to you for feedback. Schedule time with them to talk by phone. There's a second reason why you schedule time with them by phone to talk through the feedback, and that is not in writing. So CYA. You, you got to be a little bit careful. And I would say, 
Mitch, you may not be aware of this, and Adam too, not only do some companies struggle with providing feedback, some actually prohibit you from providing it. And some companies prohibit you from giving references right. for employees, right? It's all part and parcel of the same concern. If you give a bad reference for someone, that person can sue the company. Company lose $100,000 in litigation. Same thing. If someone feels the reason I gave them was discriminatory or inappropriate, even if they're wrong, it doesn't matter. It's going to cost the company at minimum 50000 to litigate. And so there, there's risk associated the second you open your mouth. I think the key is to be genuine, to be honest, and to, to have this conversation meaningfully trying to help the person. If you are legitimately trying to, to help somebody grow and learn and be better in their career, they're not likely to come back around and sue you, right? But they will sometimes. That's just the reality. And I think to sum that up, there's a spectrum here. There's a spectrum of, of feedback, and it could be as literally as little as you responded to the person and told them what's going on. That's feedback, okay? All the way to white glove feedback. Now, I have a suggestion on that piece. Um, I just heard an example the other day where there were two finalists for a sales role to lead a territory, and the hiring manager loved both of them, but one had super, super, super granular experience that was absolutely relevant, coming from a direct competitor, basically. Absolutely relevant. The other person was a rock star as well, but didn't have that extra piece. And so they chose that. But the minute another relevant territory opens, that's their first call. And so not only did human resources call and say, here's the deal. We, everybody loved you. Here's how, why we chose this route. The hiring manager picked up the phone and says, I want to validate that. It's absolutely true. I've got you top of mind. Here's what we did. And here's what I want to do. And I want to stay connected. Wouldn't you feel good if you got that call? I would. And I would feel like, okay, I didn't have that experience. The other person did. I can't fault the company for choosing somebody with more experience. So there, there's a spectrum here, but I can't, I mean, it's so critical to just give something. Put that good taste in somebody's mouth, just like you would want it yourself. It's going to drive so many great things for your company. And what you're doing also, though, is you're setting this person on a much better path, hopefully, for their own career so that the next time they interview, they're not going to make the exact same mistake. And that's the whole thing. And it comes back to what's really going on right now as we are recording this. How many people are out of work? How many people are you seeing on LinkedIn saying, I applied to 70, between 70 and 800 applications over three months, and I'm not getting any response? Really qualified people, too. So it's like, think about, God forbid, what happens tomorrow if you walk in and this happens to you? And you were just doing this to other people in your company as the employee, or excuse me, as the employer, and now you're on the other side. So you know, hopefully uh, that helps. Guys, any, any final words on this that you'd like to leave the show with? I was going to touch on the fact of that too. We have a lot of friends, right, that are in that spot or, or have now landed on their feet, but TA and HR got crushed, right? We're in the tens of thousands. I think we're over hundreds of thousands of layoffs just since January 1st. And, and a lot of those folks were internal recruiters and we're seeing their posts. And hopefully the one positive that can come out of this is it will move the needle to say, wow, this was my candidate experience and it was lousy 73 times in a row. When I get hired and I start at my new company, I promise you, I'm not going to, I'm committing to not having that. So that will hopefully uh, reduce the amount of candidates that get ghosted in the future. But, and then I was going to, I had a note on that too with, you know, we're all iterative or, you know, OODA loop type people where good candidates, eight players might interview every three to five years, seven years or whatever. They don't, nobody's good at interviewing. Most people, most of us are not. 
So that feedback is critical because especially if you're an individual contributor, you might not even know what they're grading you on. If you're if you're going to be judged, like if you're in the Olympics and you don't know what the judging criteria is, that's impossible. So give me some feedback after the fact so I don't make the same mistakes. You know, I didn't close out that interview. I thought I was being pushy by doing that. Well, no, in fact, that's actually a positive thing to say, you know, so like that's super valuable for the candidate experience. It sounds like Nick had that similar situation where the sales rep scenario where, hey, you're perfect. The team loves you. You just didn't have this specific skill set. You worked in Asia Pac and we need somebody for FDA. Okay, well, cool. Well, guess what? In a month when we have an FDA role, you're our first call. We'd love to hire you. We'll hire you on the spot. Like, wow, that's already teed up. You're good to go. So I, I think that's just so valuable from a client perspective, candidate experience, and just like Mitch, you alluded to early in the in the conversation, good karma. You know, just do the right thing. It's it's always the right thing to do. Yeah, and I like Adam that you you're the way you describe that in terms of if you give them the specific reason when the situation tomorrow changes, it makes a lot more sense why you're calling to re-engage them. And I'll just leave with one story from my own that I was the hiring manager for. And so I had two candidates for a senior recruiter position. And I was very lucky. I had two outstanding candidates. I I couldn't have gone wrong with either of these candidates. But I'm left with this terrible decision. I have to pick between. I only got one job. I have to pick between these two great people. And um, ultimately, I felt one of the candidates' strengths was in the technical recruiting space. In fact, that person could run circles around me in the technical recruiting space. The other one was much more strategic, was really good at thinking high level, organizing, you know, a whole lot of data and details, data analysis. And what it came down to was candidate A's strengths were exactly aligned to my needs. Candidate B was aligned to my job which is my responsibility, right? So not what I needed. A year and a half later, I decided it was time for me to move into a new role. And suddenly I was no longer going to be uh, in that position. So what did I do? I called that candidate that I had personally rejected to let that person know I'm going to be moving. I'm transitioning my role a bit. Remember when I didn't hire you because you were a little bit too much like me as far as the management responsibilities? Well, now I need you. And sure enough, that person took that position. Wow. So, Super um, cool. Having an honest, transparent conversation not only builds that good rapport, but it enables you to come back and re-engage that talent when your situation has changed. And if you think yep. your situation is not going to change, you're, you're at You're silly. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's going to. Good That's stuff, guys. Story. Well, yeah. appreciate uh, uh, you guys being here as always. Thank you to those who are joining us live today. Again, we're, we're here for the most part every week on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern. If you use Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts, I think it's on Stitcher. It's basically out on all major podcast platforms. Check out the MedTech Talent Lab podcast, over 70 episodes, all things talent related with so many different great guests from the industry. And uh, thank you, guys. We'll be back next week. Have a great one. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.